Um, A reading from Galatians chapter 3, beginning with the 23rd verse. Now before faith came, we were held captive under under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year almost. We're, we're almost there at Christmas, almost there at New Year's. Um, we are still in Christmas. And as we come to uh, the end of another year, 2023, and we're looking to 2024. Uh, we're faced with uh, a culture and a nation, a world, and um, even a church that is very divided. One thing I appreciate about this time of year, um, that being the season of Christmas, uh, it's um, it's a season that inevitably uh, crosses over from one year to another. We have 12 days. It went from Monday of last week until Friday of this week, and right in the middle we have New Year's. Uh, in a way, uh, it's, it's a reminder that, uh, that Jesus transcends the divisions of this world, um, even in the ways that we mark time. And so uh, in this Christmas season, we are going to be looking at a reading from the book of Galatians. Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he was addressing a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia that have become divided. They've been divided over issues such as ethnicity and class and gender. That may sound a little familiar. But this reading is given to us right in the middle of the Christmas season, not by accident, but because right at the center of Christmas is Jesus. And Jesus is the one whom we are drawn into union with and who forms the center of Christian unity that appears often to be absent from much of the world that we're a part of and unfortunately absent from a lot of the churches. And so as 2023 gives way to 2024, we take notice that uh, around us in the world, there's multiple wars that are going on that don't have any sign of ending soon. 2024 is an election year, and we know that's going to dominate our news feeds for at least the next 10 months. And there's a whole host of things, both large global things or 
national things or even personal issues that cause division. Where are you personally as we enter into this new year? What are the things that you've been going to for purpose and comfort? Or maybe just for distraction? Or maybe there's been major events in your life that have caused you to question who you are and what you're doing and why you're here. Maybe a birth or a death, a move, an illness, a new job, or, or maybe just another year that has passed by far too quickly. A lot of the divisive issues that get tossed around in the political sphere or in the news, those issues touch personal issues that strike at the core of who we are. They actually in some way tap into our identity. And they become our go-tos for meaning and purpose and defining who we are. When we step back for a moment from the exhausting cycle of politics and war and work and play, when we take a breath and we look deep within ourselves, we realize that these aren't just abstract issues that divide us, but they are flesh and blood issues that dig deep into our own wounds and our own insecurities and even touch the abuses we may have suffered or that our families have endured. Our hearts take a beating, and so we grasp at all kinds of things that give meaning to who we are. Often those are the things that display power and competence and prestige. And then they get mixed up in issues of ethnicity and gender and sexuality and power and economics. And I think we all feel a desire to feel complete, to feel whole. And yet we all bear pain and isolation within our hearts. We feel divided even within ourselves. But the thing is that these things that they may be important, they may actually be a part of who we are in a deep, meaningful way. Our vocation or our sexuality, for instance. But they're only properly ordered when Jesus is at the center of our lives, integrating us together as human beings. Jesus is the one who gives our identity clarity. And Jesus is the one who mediates our relationships. And that is what we see in our passage from Galatians this morning. Jesus is the one that defines what it means to be a human being, and that definition is found within a community. So right in the middle of our passage in Galatians, in verse 28, Paul tells us that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and have been baptized, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's something about Jesus that breaks down division and creates unity. Now taken on its own, this one verse from Galatians that I've picked out can uh, get us into some problems. We need to see it in light of the rest of our passage and the rest of Galatians to really see what it means. Paul is calling us to unity in Jesus and he's challenging what we tend to lean on to distinguish ourselves as he does this. Here, Paul is not doing away with distinctions. He's not saying that gender and ethnicity and the like do not matter at all. But he's pointing us to the fact that none of these means of identifying ourselves provides the basis for acceptance or rejection by God. 
and none, of, and none of these things on their own make us a whole person. I think a good way to describe how many of us feel when it comes to our own identity is the word perplexed. Or maybe at some point in our life we were perplexed and then we found something to latch onto that gives us meaning and purpose. But to be perplexed is actually part of the context of the book of Galatians. That's actually how the apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, describes himself later on. He also uses words like astonished and perplexed as he tries to fathom what is going on with these people in Galatia. For some reason, it seems that the Galatians have forgotten who they are. Their identity has been thrown into confusion, and now Paul has to remind them who they are. And so Paul's words to them are the same as to us. Remember who you are. You, all of you, together, are one in Christ. So Galatians 3.28 is our starting point in the middle of the passage. This is what you need to remember. This is where you find your identity, in Jesus, the central part of why God sent Jesus to us. But we need to unpack this a bit. What exactly is this unity that Paul talks about comprised of? Because even Christians can form unity around Christian-sounding things that aren't the main thing. Things like particular theological emphases or a style of worship, a culture or a language, or even a posture towards the rest of the world. Again, these things are important, but not the main driving thing. Well, Paul focuses on three things to hold on to in order to combat divisions that have emerged in the Christian community in Galatia. Divisions that are rooted in how we choose to define ourselves. And all three of these things serve to anchor ourselves, to stabilize us, so that we know who we are as followers of Jesus and are able to rightly order all the other aspects of what makes us who we are, individually and collectively. So these three elements of Christian identity and unity are baptism, faith, and adoption. And those are the three things that we're going to unpack a little bit in the next few minutes we have together. But we need to know just a couple more things about the situation in Galatia that Paul is trying to address in this letter, which will help us better understand why Paul decides to focus on these particular matters. There's a lot going on for Paul to be perplexed about. And so here's a bit of background. Paul founded the churches in Galatia, most likely on one of his missionary journeys. And it wasn't a planned thing. At least his initial stay with them did not seem to be planned. It was apparently because of some sort of illness that he was required to stop and receive aid from them. And while he was with the Galatians and while they were caring for him, Paul shared the good news of Jesus with them and some of them responded affirmatively. And a Christian community was founded there. However, at some point, Paul continued on in his journey and he left that church in Galatia to grow. And then at some point after that, false teachers had entered into that community and they began to teach that in order to be a Christian or to become a Christian, one must observe the Jewish law. So in effect, what these people were teaching is that if you were a Gentile, that's a non-Jewish person, and you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to effectively become Jewish first. 
You had to follow the customs and practices of the Old Testament law that are associated with that. And if you did that, then you're accepted by God. Then you're part of the community. In a sense, you had to change your ethnic identity in order to become a Christian. And this teaching that had entered had caused a lot of confusion among the Christians that are there, and it's causing just more and more division. There's some factions that have formed in the church, and there's a split forming among Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And some of these people had even turned against Paul. So this leaves Paul astonished because he says, this, this isn't what I taught you. What, what's going on here? So in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is walking them through who he is, who they are, and what the role of the law is. And coming to the section of Galatians that we have, it's kind of this long, long discussion that he's in. And now he's kind of getting to the heart of the matter. The thrust of what Paul is doing here is he's reminding the Galatians and he's reminding us of who we are and how that is grounded first and foremost in the person of Jesus. And so we've kind of started right in the middle of our passage and we're going to remain in the middle of the passage and then kind of jump to the beginning and then to the end as, uh, as it kind of clarifies what's in the middle. What Paul does have to say to explain how the core of our being, what does Paul have to say to explain how the core of our being, who we are, is rooted in Jesus? Well, he gives us three marks of Christian identity. The first one is being united with Christ is seen in baptism. So if we jump back to Galatians 3, verse 27, it reads, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul does something interesting whenever he wants to assure people about their faith in his letters. He points them to their baptism. He does that here, and in doing so, he taps into this core aspect of our identity. He points to the fact that we're not isolated beings. We're not actually individuals. An individual is actually a really impersonal term, and it's not a Christian term. The way scripture describes people, describes us, is always relational. We're not individuals, we're persons. And to be a person is to be in relationship. We see this right from the beginning of the story of creation, way back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. God, who exists in three persons, in one being, and we call him the Trinity, God is relational in the essence of his being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coexist together. And they're united by this bond of love and they create humanity in their own image, in his image. And in Genesis, we're told that it's not good for man to be alone when Adam's created. And so Eve is created. And so humanity is made to be in relationship with other people as well as in relationship with God. And in fact, this is the foundational relationship that undergirds all of our relationships, this relationship we have with God. We're never meant to be alone, isolated from others or from God. So when it comes to baptism, then it's not just an individual act that Paul is asking the Galatians to recall. Baptism is not just a declaration that I'm making that I want to be identified with Jesus. It is that, that's part of it. When someone responds to Jesus' call to follow him, baptism is an outward sign of that decision. But there's much more to it going on that Paul is referring to. Paul says that we who have been baptized into Christ have been 
have put on Christ. That is, we've been clothed with Christ. We've been received into a community by other people. And we can't actually baptize ourselves. It's a communal act. And even more so, we are responding to God's action in reaching out to us first and drawing us into this deep spiritual union with himself. The act, the act of baptism actually points us to a deep spiritual reality. And as this is done, it becomes evident that it's not by any special standing that any of us inherently have, not because we happen to be of a certain ethnicity or a certain gender or a high or low standing of social status or anything like that. None of, us, none of that has any bearing on us being accepted by God. Do you start to see why Paul is so perplexed by the Galatians? All of these other ways we define ourselves are secondary. If our identity is primarily found in Jesus, then what we do when we gather together as Christians is part of what forms us into our true humanity, which is in the image of Christ. Worshiping together, serving each other, being driven by the beauty of Christ is our formation as Christians. In fact, by the end of the letter of Galatians, Paul starts referring to Christians as the new humanity, the new creation. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slave, free, all are welcome to the community. But they're all being transformed into what they're meant to be, reflecting the image of Jesus. And the distinctions that are born of injustice have no place here. And how we interact with each other must change according to this new identity. It's actually why uh, some 400 years later, after Paul, um, we have a bishop in the church named Gregory of Nista. Uh, and he starts telling Christians that uh, you can't actually own slaves if you're a Christian, because other people are made in the image of God. They're in the image of Christ, and it's a violation of humanity to enslave another human being. It's because we're all created in the image of God. All of our relationships get reshaped, and we see that throughout history. As we're drawn into union with Jesus, we're drawn into unity with each other. And baptism signifies that. It points us to that reality. But baptism isn't the only thing Paul draws our attention to. Just before Paul reminds us of baptism, he points us to the basis by which we can even be baptized and enter into this communion, this union with Jesus and this communion that we have with other Christians. He points us to faith. Galatians 3, 23 to 26 reads, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith is repeated five times here. We're coming in at the tail end of a longer argument that Paul has been making through the whole of preceding chapter, chapter two and on into chapter three of Galatians. Paul is addressing those who think that a prerequisite for being accepted by God is observing the Jewish law and that therefore it's required of all people. And so Paul takes on the observance of the law, the things that must be done by a Jewish person intent on following God. And Paul tells us that the whole purpose of the law is actually to function as a guide, 
or as a guardian. A guardian back then was a person who was entrusted with one main task. They were responsible for getting a child from point A to point B, from home to school, and then back again. They had no teaching responsibilities or anything like that. They just had to ensure a safe passage between home and school. I think the closest thing we have in our culture today is something like a nanny or maybe even like a school bus driver. So what Paul is saying here is that the law functions as if it is to point us in a certain direction to deliver us somewhere. And we find here that the purpose of the law is to deliver us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. Jesus fulfills all the requirements of the law, so that as we're united to him by faith, we're actually now a part of this new humanity. And now we are properly related to God and to each other. So there's no point in forcing people to observe the law if they've already been pointed to Jesus. Who we are is not defined by religious observance. Doing religious things doesn't make us right with God. Religious practices are supposed to point us toward Jesus. And they make us aware of our need for Jesus. They guide us to Jesus. They're good insofar as they do that. So a mark of a Christian is not observance of a religious law, but it is faith. Simply being baptized for the sake of being baptized doesn't do anything if faith is absent. But it is by faith that we are made right and justified before God. It is entrusting ourselves to Jesus that we are made whole. Faith is basically entrusting ourselves to Jesus. So if it is by faith that we are made right with God, then all the other things we cling to, our wealth, our status, our competence, our ethnicity, our political affiliation, even our religious heritage, won't make us whole. They won't bridge the gap between us and God. They won't bring true healing to the divisions in the world and within ourselves. In a sense, we entrust ourselves to something every day. We place our faith in many things. It could be your paycheck, it could be your abilities, it could be your heritage. And I think the degree to which we are placing our faith in things other than Jesus is seen and experienced in the types of divisions we see in our relationships with others and particularly within the church. That's what Paul is seeing happen in the church in Galatia. But Paul points us to what anchors us to God, faith in Jesus, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has made things right between us and God. By faith, we can come into the very presence of God. We all equally stand before God. So the last part of our passage is Galatians 3, 29 to 4, 7. Paul's walked us through the centrality of faith in Jesus that brings us into this close union with him and makes us rightly related to God. And Paul points us to baptism as a marker of that entrance into a new life and a new way of relating to God and to other people. And now Paul shifts the imagery he's using to that of adoption. It's here that we're getting to the Christmas part of our message. Paul says in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. The reason that Jesus came is so that we might receive adoption as sons and become heirs. But what does this mean? Basically, Paul is saying 
that if you belong to Jesus, you are part of the family, but just not any part of the family. Not like a child that has a schedule micromanaged by mom and dad and the nanny and all the other adults that are at home. You're not a slave that has no freedom whatsoever. And then the metaphor Paul uses here shifts a bit. He says you're not controlled by the forces of the ways of the world that are opposed to God, these elemental forces. No, you are adopted as sons. This term, adopted as sons, is important. What it's doing is it's communicating the benefits of being adopted in the ancient world. To be adopted as a son meant to be given the full rights of inheritance that a firstborn son would have in Roman society. You get all the rights of the inheritance. And here in our passage, this great inheritance is given to both the Jewish Christians that had followed the law and to the non-Jewish Christians that never had the law. In verse 29, Abraham's offspring what you'd expect to be a description of the Jewish descendants of Abraham is broadened to include all who belong to Jesus. How? Well, because the offspring, the descendant of Abraham, actually is Jesus. And in Jesus, the promise that God made to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, the promise that all the nations of the world would be blessed, is fulfilled. And so this brings us back to that union with Jesus that our baptism points to. Being united with Jesus, we all get to enjoy all the benefits that he enjoys, right down to God pouring out his spirit on us, confirming in us that we belong to him. In a way, the inheritance we are given is nothing less than Jesus himself. God's gift to the world is his presence, God with us. And so we as we think about Jesus coming to the world at Christmas time, we're celebrating God's arrival to bring about repair and healing. In Jesus, God draws near to his people and draws us close to the Father so that we can cry, Abba, Father. And from that place of intimacy and security, we see that the divisions between people that we hold on to hold no power in the face of Jesus. We have unity with each other in the presence of Jesus. And so it's only in, in worship, it's only by beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ, by coming to God the Father, enabled by his spirit, that we find out who we are. And we discover this not on our own, but together in community. So in a world where our identity is often thrown into question, we are reminded this morning that we're not meant to derive who we are from the many options in the world around us gives to us, whether that be wealth or race or class or sexuality or nationality or whatever. We know who we are by looking to Jesus, by holding fast to him, or letting him hold fast to us. We allow him to transform us so that we look more like him, and that forms the basis of Christian unity whereby we can be in deep relationships with people who may be very different than us. When we're secure as children of God, adopted into the family, we're actually free to be in relationship with people who are different than us, who hold different opinions than us, who may actually think things that we disagree with. We're free to be in relationship with them without being threatened by them or being pressured to be like them. Jesus, 
who in coming to us as a human being, as an infant, draws us into what it truly means to be a human being. He repairs the relationships that are broken. He draws us out of our isolation. He gives us all the benefits that God wants us to enjoy. And this is all freely entered into by faith. So if you've never come to Jesus by faith, maybe now is the time. Maybe it's time to, to come to Jesus. And if you already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, remember that it's only by being united with Jesus by faith through adoption that we have any chance of offering hope and healing to a deeply divided world. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.